in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. These brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, Dustin Melbarnes, Nathan Lutz, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Welcome, all you lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable, where we watch movies and then talk about them. I'm your host, Dustin Melbardis, and joining me today is my good friend and co-host, Chad Robinson. How are you today, Chad? I'm doing well this evening, Dustin. How are you doing? I am good. I'm nice and cool in my house down here in Texas. They're asking us to keep our air conditioning at like 85 or some high number. Because Texas likes being an energy island or something like that. But I'm being a bad boy, and I've got my AC set lower than that. I'm telling Matthew McConaughey. No, not him. <laughs> Anyone but him. First, let me say, uh, Chad, I'm, I'm going to stop referencing you as Chad uh, for tonight. Tonight, you are Robinson. Because we are lucky to have ourselves a guest, and his name is Chad. Please welcome our guest, uh, Chad DeVrent from the Movie Time Machine podcast. Say hi, Chad. Hi. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me on the pod. The superior, Chad. We're glad to have you. <laughs> and look how quickly he gives you the nod for being the superior, Chad. Uh, although I will be calling you DeVrent, or maybe maybe I should just call you superior, Chad. We didn't discuss this beforehand. I'm okay with it. <laughs> DeVrent, you've got a podcast. Uh, tell us about it. Yeah, I'm the host of the Movie Time Machine podcast, where we take movies from the past and relive them in the present. Uh, your retro movie review podcast, so um, find us on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. Uh, you can follow, also follow us on Twitter at Movie Machine Pod, and new episodes drop on Friday. So it's just me and three other of my friends talking about movies. So, yeah. Yeah. Robinson, did you have a chance to to listen to any of his podcasts? I did. I I'm in a I'm a big horror fan, so I'm a big fan of their segment that it's the Monster Closet editions. Those are a lot of fun. They've covered a lot of great horror movies and series, which I like. I like that you're going through and doing three or four episodes of the same franchise. That's good stuff. Uh, They've also covered some movies that we've done. So listen to them, listen to us, and then tell us how they're right and we're wrong on some of these movies. <laughs> Scream just released, so let us know. That's kind of, that's kind of funny. You just really scream because uh, we're about ready to do uh, a Scream series. So for the monster closet, so. Oh. <laughs> it sounds like someone here's a copycat. We know. Right. <laughs> Relevant to I the Scream to... series. Truly, yes. I noticed you guys did some Wes Anderson stuff, uh, and I also noticed that I think our movie tastes must align because uh, Fifth Element's a favorite of mine, uh, Beetlejuice I listened to, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Uh, there's just some stuff that I'm like, these guys, I, I, I must like them. Yeah, I like that. I That sounds like maybe more collaborations in the future, possibly, huh? <laughs> stay tuned. Yeah. Stay tuned, retro movie fans. It, it's, it, 
part of part of our name, part of their subject matter. Hey, Robinson. Yeah. What's the last movie you saw? Last movie I saw after I built up all this horror was Disney's Coco. So I was on vacation with my wife's family. Most of them hadn't seen it. So they're huge Disney fans. Watched it against my better wishes because I've seen it before and I didn't feel like crying in front of my in-laws. I sat in the back row. This cabin had a nice theater setting so I could cry in the back row without anyone noticing. Darn you, Pixar, for making me cry. Coco is so good. I, too, cry in that movie uh, when when I watch it. I'm not a, a big current Disney-slash-Pixar uh, watcher. I don't have kids like you, so I, I, it's not often on my plate. But uh, Coco, I made a, a point to see. I, I loved it. Uh, DeVrent, your last movie. I uh, just finished watching Do the Right Thing, because um, we're doing that for another pod episode as well. So, yeah, excellent movie. Um, it's kind of movie I go back to now. I feel like every couple of years rewatch and it gets better every time. Excellent. I had heard on a podcast or, or something came up where somebody brought up the idea of Tim Curry driving an ice cream truck with a whole bunch of Pokemon in the back. And it was a very funny idea to me. So I needed to watch a Tim Curry movie. So I rewatched the movie Clue uh, uh, just two days ago. Love that. Uh, which we've covered. Yeah, it's so it's so good and uh, worthy of every rewatch. Uh, and it doesn't matter which Tim Curry I'm watching. I think the first ever Tim Curry movie I watched was uh, Muppet Treasure Island. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what? No, that's that's actually, and it kind of filters into my next question here. I, I had seen him as Pennywise uh, in the It miniseries uh, before realizing how much I liked him as an actor, uh, which brings me to my next question here. Uh, let's start with you, Robinson. What is a movie that you have you've seen, but you forgot you saw it, and when you watch it again, you're like, it, it was like watching again for the first time. Forrest Gump kind of lives in this space for me. Yeah, I remember the main quotes and just the pop culture, but every time I see it, I've forgotten ninety plus percent of this movie. And just remember the main quotes and you know trying to show LBJ's backside stuff like that. But yeah, I forget the majority of Forrest Gump. I recently was sitting in a sushi restaurant. I was uh, giving this new place a review. And sometimes you might expect like music videos to be playing. Sometimes maybe like uh, karaoke tracks or something, maybe even sports. But they had Forrest Gump playing. So that was my most recent watch of that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> DeVrent, what was the last uh, movie that you had known you'd seen before, but when you saw it again, it was like the first time? It has to be this movie that my kids watch all the time and it's kind of where you get to see bits and pieces of it and you sit down and actually watch it and then you realize oh i haven't seen that part before or oh i haven't seen that part before so that would probably be finding dory because i feel like every time i watch that movie i see something new that i haven't seen before appropriate for yeah. the character dory just keep forgetting <laughs> Switch our memory loss. Either that or you tune in and you're accidentally watching Shark Tale. Ah, turn no. it off. No. Um, I, I think the way that you uh, presented that made it sound like you were going to forget the name of the movie again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was close. <laughs> yeah. And the name of the movie, which is, uh, it's a movie called, I was like, oh man, he's going to forget. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Finding Dory. I actually... I liked Finding Nemo enough that uh, when, when I like a, a first movie in a series or when I know that there's a sequel, I will just, I, I've 
I've told uh, Robinson this before, but I'll just put up a wall. I'll say, nope, saw the first. I'm not seeing anything else after it. I'm just going to preserve my idea of that movie franchise in just the one that I've seen. Yeah, I have those refusals too. One of my favorite animated movie is Lilo and Stitch. I have never seen any of the spinoffs to Stitch has a glitch, whatever it is. Just, it's magical to me. Don't want it. I didn't know that, that there was a secondary Lilo and Stitch yes. with a glitch. Yes, uh, there's a pink experiment 626 called magenta now you know uh and as we all know magenta very important to all of our printers i'm looking forward to lilo and stitch cyan <laughs> and <laughs> we're gonna skip past that bad joke to my movie that i had seen but forgot that i had seen uh which should make sense to a lot of our our listeners out there which was showgirls uh i i had watched showgirls on television probably uh, on USA Network or maybe VH1 back in when I was in high school and uh, not realizing just how heavily edited it is in order to get that movie on TV. What What's so, even the point? Like, why? <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, I didn't realize how huge of a Kyle MacLachlan fan I was <laughs> at the <laughs> time, perhaps. Uh, nothing to say about Elizabeth Berkley. Is that the name, Elizabeth Berkley? Yeah, yeah, uh, Jesse Spano. Yeah. <laughs> old jesse well i uh i had seen the movie on tv and then i sat down to watch it way later i was like that's oh wow <laughs> this this is what this movie is <laughs> kind of a nice surprise and speaking of uh nice surprises we have what was a nice surprise to me uh an incredible movie to cover tonight and that is invasion of the body snatchers from 1956 starring kevin mccarthy Dana Winter, Larry Gates, King Donovan, and Carolyn Jones. Uh, the budget was $417,000, but it grossed $3 million. The number one movie that year was The Ten Commandments. I guess that has some good origin story, whatever. Uh, IMDb rating for this one is 7.7, uh, .7, but our Rotten Tomatoes website goers uh, really love it. The tomato meter for the critics is 98%, and the audience score is 85%. Now, when I mentioned that this is a surprise of a good movie it's because i had never seen it before oh, no. 65 years 65 years from when it came out and i had never seen it uh robinson had, had you yeah yeah i i watched this as part of i was doing a horror movie challenge where i was trying to see top 200 list of horror and this of course came up along with the other invasion and i also try and go and get at least one if not two for every year all the way back. I actually completed that challenge. So this was a couple of years ago. And like what you're describing. I was like 1950s gets a little ifty, iffy. But 56. This was awesome. I loved it. Loved it from the first viewing. I've rewatched it a couple of times since then. It stuck out to me of just how minimalistic it was. It, it doesn't seem to have a huge budget. The 417,000 sticks out to me. It seems like, even for this, it seems like that's a lot. So, yeah, I revisit this quite a bit. I uh, let's, let's make it a point to whenever we're talking about movies, really anything from this far away. I really like adding to the vernacular. 1950 seems a little lifty. <laughs> <laughs> I like that a lot. How about you, DeVrent? Yeah, this is my first time watching this film. It's been on my watch list for quite some time. Um, I did see the remake that came out in, I think, 1978 with 
uh, Donald Sutherland. Um, Excellent. I really like that one. So yeah, going to this one, black and white film. I always love black and white, especially from this era. Um, I always just love, sometimes I get distracted with, you know, looking at, oh, like the old gas station pumps and uh, the old signs or like what kind of they have in like their rooms, like the old telephones and just all the things of that era that kind of symbolize that era, um, icons of the era. But yeah, I really like this film. I, I kind of knew what to expect, except for like, I knew that the ending might be a little different. Um, given like just that this era of film and but yeah uh pleasantly surprised i really love mccarthy's uh performance in this even though it's still kind of theater acting kind of to me but i guess again i think that's just a sign of the times but um yeah it's like a big sci-fi and horror fan um yeah i really i really like this film oh this is great we've got two people that hadn't seen this film i'm i'm extra excited now I was excited to see it. Uh, when there is a big blind spot, my movie viewing history, uh, every time I get to sort of check a box off, is uh, is fun by itself, but also uh, it was truly a pleasure to watch. You know, you said it's kind of some of the things of the time were a little distracting, like uh, the old gas pumps or maybe even the telephone. I, I think it is really, uh, to use your word, pleasant to be distracted by those things. I like uh, the 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 time of this movie. I like the sound, the dial on the phone. There's so much about the like this time frame that when a movie is is set at that time, uh, it's comfortable. Just a general uh, pleasing um, atmosphere. And the first, guess what, 20 minutes of this movie is really kind of a pleasant uh, type of scene uh, things uh, seem to be bright and uh big smiles the the acting like the theater acting is there it just seems like oh if you don't know about this movie you're just like oh, this is kind of a nice situation we're in yeah you've got the leave it to beaver style community everybody's just happy go lucky yeah yeah to where even you know we have we we need to uh actually take a little break before we get too far into this movie uh so yeah so uh, before we continue on uh, just a couple advertisements. Uh, remember, after the break, we are specifically going to spoil this movie. That's the plot summary, and Robinson's going to have that for us. Trust us. Believe me, it's better on the other side. We mean you no harm. <laughs> Welcome to the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. I'm Ricky. I'm Grayson. And every week we review a movie from the past and reflect on things we miss, things we loved, and things we want to see again. Yeah, because we believe any movie worth watching is worth watching again. So if you like films, friendship, and a lot of callbacks, I mean, just so many callbacks, then subscribe on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever RSS feeds go for like-minded, movie-loving individuals like you. What happens when two modern film fans go back and rewatch all the old classic films from yesteryear to see if they hold up? You get the Classic Film Jerks podcast. Find the Classic Film Jerks podcast on all the major platforms. And welcome back. It is time for the plot summary for Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Take it away. Screaming man is held in a California hospital, absolutely panicked. The psychiatrist agrees to hear his story and a flashback sequence begins. In the town of Santa Myra, 
Dr. Miles Bennell is a happy-go-lucky fella who becomes concerned over the number of patients that appear to be suffering from caprice delusion, the belief that their relatives have been replaced with identical imposters. Miles's friend, Jack Belichick, finds a body with his exact physical features, though it hasn't been fully developed yet, and another body is found in Miles's former girlfriend, Becky Driscoll's basement. Miles, Becky, Jack, and Jack's wife find duplicates of themselves in Miles's greenhouse and determine that the townspeople are actually getting replaced while they sleep. Miles tries to call for help, but is unsuccessful. Truckloads of pods arrive the next day, and Miles and Becky must flee the city. Becky falls asleep in a tunnel while Miles scouts ahead, and she is unfortunately replaced. Miles frantically runs onto the freeway, trying to warn anyone he can. Back in the hospital, a new patient is admitted who had to be dug out from under a load of giant seed pods. For some reason, that actually causes the doctor there, Dr. Hill, who's listening to Miles, to believe him, and he calls for all the roads to be blocked and the FBI to be called. The end. And we do get a uh, the end card uh, with, without a freeze frame. So, um, this is a movie about an alien takeover. How do either of you two feel about movies like this, about alien takeover movies? D does this normally draw you to the theaters? Yeah, I, I love anything to do with, like, uh, like kind of mass annihilation, mass extinction, invasion, um, especially when it's uh, extraterrestrial in form. So, yeah, anything like that that's uh, kind of dystopian, post-apocalyptic. Yeah, this is right up my alley. And maybe, you know, as opposed to being post-apocalyptic, uh, this is, as, as I just very quickly mentioned before, like, things are going well, and man, this escalates fast. Uh, maybe the fastest escalation that I think I've, I've remembered. Robinson, when it comes to, like, alien invasion movies, I think I have an idea in my mind. Um, how do you feel about movies like this? Yeah, I grew up, and this may be an old dated reference, but I grew up with the Animorphs books. And this is a very similar concept of replacing people with a copy that's slightly different. Like If you really know them, you'll notice, but otherwise you're not going to know. So I, I love those series of books, and they were clearly inspired by this series. It's threatening, but it's also low budget. It's very easy. It's like we've replaced the actor with <laughs> that exact actor. <laughs> So oh, yeah. that that is extremely convenient. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's convenient for them. I mean, it was only two years prior was the book released, right? Am yeah. I right about that? Yeah. Uh, so I guess we can't say for sure that it was all about the convenience of using the same actors. But uh, thank you, K.A. Applegate, uh, the author of those Animorphs books. Yes. Uh, because I, I truly also loved those books. I think... I remember right, uh, those aliens are called Andalites, and the bad guy bugs, like the slugs that crawl in your ear, are called Yerks. Yes. Hadn't, th hadn't thought about Animorphs in a while, but certainly must have like had this as inspiration. Uh, which leads me, I, I always thought that situation is scary. Uh, the people around you being replaced is a scary concept. Did you find the movie scary? Hmm. Yeah, that's, 
I don't really find it scary. I think it is unsettling, though, especially when you've got little kids that are afraid to go home and saying, hey, this isn't my mom. And you find out that kid was telling the truth. And you're seeing all these people, oh, I no longer need medical attention. I'm fine. And it's very much, I think it's it's more unsettling than, you know, the conjuring or paranormal activity, something like that, where you, society's just gradually replaced to this conform to whatever these aliens want. I should say that I didn't find the movie frightening. Uh, but the idea is, is unsettling. The idea is, is scary. Uh, I think that there is effort put towards the actor's response is that they are supposed to be legitimately frightened of what's happening. I feel like that came across. Wouldn't you say the performances came across as, oh, these characters are legitimately scared? Yeah. Yeah, especially Kevin McCarthy's. My goodness, he's... I don't know how he didn't go hoarse because this was filmed in like 19 days or something like that. And he's screaming or running half of the film. Yeah, it really shows. I feel like in those, those final scenes where I had read that um, McCarthy had not been getting a lot of rest and was quite exhausted, uh, especially when you're the scene with the the cars there at the end and saying that he was director was saying that he was in danger of possibly getting hit because he was so exhausted but yeah it really shows but yeah i think again just an excellent performance by mccarthy and just kind of showing that fear and like paranoia um sometimes giving like thinking that you know is is this all in his head because this kind of starts out with him narrating this story so um which i think i just love that kind of paranoia aspect of it as well yeah. Did you think did you think at any point during watching this movie that that could have been like the resolution was that a lot of this was in his head? No, like I I knew like going into this I knew that that wasn't going to be the case um with seeing the remake. With that said, I guess I didn't know what the 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 outcome of it was going to be, but it had me thinking as like maybe maybe something was was different in this one, but um, I think with this, I think that might have been a cop-out, and I don't think it would have really have fit the era. I don't know if any movies from this era that would have had uh, a ending or a twist like that. Oh, there, there are definitely movies out there that I can't name because, they, because of this discussion. It would just ruin it, but yeah, of this yeah. era where that that does happen. But the title card kind of clues you in here. like. <laughs> invasion of the body snatchers if you sat through that and it's like oh it was all a dream we're mad yeah um but you do have scenes like there's there's the guy danny who knows a lot about killing people dis uh discreetly he's like well maybe his fingerprints were burned off maybe he was this oh you could kill him with an ice pick or whatever and he'd be you know, I, I'm sitting there like, why do you know so much about killing people? And you find out he's an alien that's been replaced. He's just trying to make Miles seem crazy. But yeah, there's a lot of those scenes where Miles is explaining things and other people are saying, well, here's something else that could have logically happened. And so it mm -hmm. does make you doubt a little bit. And you can see the panic in Miles of maybe I'm going insane. Yeah, Dan Danny, uh, Dr. Kaufman, I know that Miles and Becky, when they go to dinner, 
at the club that has very few people there. And uh, <laughs> But it is right before that scene when you see Dr. Kaufman and the other doctor in town, but they're they're leaving. Is that the only time, or do you even believe at all that Dr. Kaufman, for his screen time, was ever truly himself? Yeah, I, I think he was pretty clearly a pod person. I guess that's what we're going to call them, a replacement. Because otherwise... I don't think you'd spend that much time. Like, Dustin, if you were casually explaining to me the many different ways to hide a murder in a body, there would be issues. I would hope you're replaced by a pod person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would I would also hope... No, I can't hope that that would be the case. I don't want to be replaced. But <laughs> if that were happening, I guess that's what I would want for you, is that I would have been replaced and you weren't talking to uh, secretly... Uh, sociopathic Dustin this whole time. Yes, Dexter over there. <laughs> um, yeah, I and I think I, there was a his description of things that logically could happen. Well, first of all, I want to I want to point out that you you brought up Pod Person. I think this is, this is where Pod Person came from, but I had never used the term. I don't think maybe I'd ever used it generally, but when I've heard the term, didn't think of it as a person devoid of emotion. Is that what it's supposed to be? It's more of an insult of you're just a conformist than it is of devoid of emotion. It's like you're you're kind of a blank slate conformist. That's that made me think about uh, the times that we see Dr. Kaufman, Danny, on screen, and all all the ways that he's trying to logically think through. I actually really liked uh, all of those all of those scenes. Uh, the, his speech uh, in how he's he's not talking down to his uh, colleague cohort, um, but he he's trying just to. Uh, if you didn't know he was already a pod person, he's trying to talk sense into him. Like everybody hallucinates, even doctors. <laughs> and 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 then what it makes me think of is that you you start to recognize uh, when when you start if if you have no idea what is going to happen in this movie, you start thinking who's a confederate, who is who is already turned. Who is working against? Uh, who we want? To, we want to believe that Miles and Becky are are safe, uh, but like w during the movie, every five minutes it goes by. You start thinking, who all is in on it? And it makes me think of Kaufman gaslighting uh, Miles. Yeah. Um. And and once you see it, um, you you tend to start seeing it all over the place. But it made me think about how crafty do these replacements have to be to to make this farce go over like how hard do they have to work did you put any thought into that no these are these last couple topics here are really making me think a little bit more deeply about some some characters and scenes in this film that are kind of giving me a different uh, take and perspective on with that said i was i was kind of the feeling that the pod people were kind of working like in a symbiosis kind of way where there's kind of like this hive mind thinking. I don't know what led me to that idea. I guess it was the kind of assumption that I've had in the film. That's what it kind of just led my, that's the first place I went. Yeah. So you've got like the Kilix from Star Wars. They're insect species or hive mind. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of had the same thing thought there i mean 
part of it, I think, is the era, and I don't think any of us is old enough to be around for 1956. I feel like 1956, they were a lot more dismissive of everything. So, you know, people were being institutionalized for hysteria and all this other stuff. So some of these explanations, I'm like, all right, I can chalk that up to 1956. Who knows? All the circuits are out. Like, all of L.A.'s circuits are out? Okay. You know, 1956, whatever. (laughs) Just happy Sacramento's down, too? All right. Whatever. Get get me the FBI. They're they're closed. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Jack's response of, oh, there's a pod person growing in my house, but I'm going to just take a nap. In, in that same house, strange giant pod. Yeah, no, I, not even having any of the information we had later in this movie, if I wake up and there's a half person laying on my pool table, I'm out. Like, there's zero chance I'm sleeping in that house. Well, you know, with the, the hive mind situation, it, it, I, I started thinking there's a moment <clears throat> as our plot develops and uh, my, Dr. Miles starts thinking, who, who can he trust? Who does he go to? When uh, I think he goes to uh, Wilma, he, Wilma had asked to see a psychiatrist the next day at two o'clock. And what we, what we get to is he goes to Wilma, says, yeah, I got you the appointment, whatever. And Wilma goes inside, turns the open sign to closed and inside of, I guess, is that a shop? I'm not exactly sure where she is. She kind of, reports to to becky's dad is that correct yeah. uh where, where and, and so it made me think is there a leader or does there need to be a leader of this alien invasion or is it i i found myself not confused i wasn't trying so hard to figure it out but uh like a leader to this or was it all of them sharing just this one goal huh who is the leader here is or is there one and if it's a high and if it's a hive mind uh are they able to share information they they clearly can't share it that fast because otherwise they would not have been able to get away from his office um now we know that the police chief is helping out with the distribution of the pods uh which uh was kind of a like a striking scene to have all of those people walking towards that center like traffic island in the middle of the town yes uh now while i'll say like the movie i don't think i think we kind of agree the movie isn't scary but it's unsettling that's a that's kind of a scary scene yeah i don't want to get too far ahead of myself but that's probably not my favorite but one of my favorite scenes uh in this film and it that's that's the point of this film too where you kind of are that's when you're told where oh this isn't just happening in this town there's other other towns nearby that they're calling out. Okay, this is bigger than just here, and that's like a really cool moment I think in this movie where it's like, oh, this is bigger. This isn't just here. Like this is growing, it's spreading. Yeah, there's yeah. there's no way of stopping it either because you can never tell you other than catching those trucks with giant pods. We even see, you know, you talked about seeing the 1978 version. Kevin McCarthy's back in it. He's the opening character. He's still running and screaming, trying to warn everyone, which I can't imagine works very well. Just like crazy person, get off my car. 
<laughs> excuse me, crazy person, uh, off off the bends. Yes. Yeah, I, I can't imagine. I mean, this didn't take place in L.A. other than actually being filmed in L.A. But I can't imagine being successful in a city like Los Angeles who have people running up to cars for whatever reason throughout the entire day, <laughs> having this guy run up and say, hey, your neighbor isn't your neighbor. They're going to take over when you go to sleep. It's like, just just go. I Squeegee my car and move on. Yeah, that's uh, that's almost like a nat- like a everyday phenomenon in almost every large metropolitan area. I feel like, um, so I've I've experienced that some of that here as well in um, Minneapolis. So, yeah. <laughs> and and you have to figure out like who who do you choose to believe? But which one of those people coming up to your vehicle do you choose to believe? When a movie like this can kind of create questions in your mind and kind of uh, make you question. I think I saw some some Rotten Tomatoes review. It's like, if you find yourself watching this in a theater, you'll be looking to your left and right, wondering who among you has already been changed. And I think what was said a, a minute ago was the size at which this is happening, not just in their small California town, but the other towns that the police chief is calling out through the megaphone. Uh, it's, it's not just that like it's happening, but... In this town, it's happened. And wow, you are one of the very few to have uh, not been taken yet. Um, And I guess we learn, the audience learns through the police uh, radio that they're the only two left. Everybody else has already been turned. Um, Speaking of turning, it made me think of like what the extraterrestrial goal. This is another type of situation that kind of makes you question or you know, provides more food for thought, which is, are these villains? Are these, is this alien invasion, is it evil at work or bent on destruction? Now, part of this is because I'm unsure about the mechanics of this movie, which you guys might be able to help me with. But also, uh, it, it makes me think of a discussion I've had with former guest of the show, John Resendez, which is, what is the best kind of villain? One who is evil or one who believes that he or she or they, if we're talking about a monster race or a robot race, an alien race, a supervillain, believes that what they're doing is good. So let's think about these this alien invasion. Is what they're doing is what they're doing supposed to be good, Robinson? I feel like they're kind of the Doctor Doom style villains where they're smarter than most people and they feel like the evil they do is somehow benevolent because the speech we get from Danny and Jack is absolutely terrifying when they're giving it to Miles. Hey, just give in. Uh, just We're going to create a society where everything's simpler. There's yeah. less emotion. There's <clears throat> more conformity. It's just there have been allusions to McCarthyism. Uh, within this like the communist scare now the director has said no i didn't put it in there but a lot of it is kind of rooting out the the different feelings in society so yeah when they're saying we're going to strip away what makes you a human and just make you boil down bare bones conformist that that's yeah your life would be better in that you'd essentially be a pet hamster i guess 
are we learning something about you, Ch uh, Robinson, where life would be better if you could just be in your little ball uh, with your your little hamster mulch and your little uh, uh, water water dropper? Yeah. Yes. I <laughs> I can't do air quotes over a podcast. It doesn't work, but uh, better with air quotes. Yes. My <laughs> life would certainly be simpler. Was this an unsettling thing to you, Chad DeVrent, the idea that, well, hold on, is is it emotion and love winning? Is that is that the because we we understand that an invasion of extraterrestrial things taking over, that must be bad. Did you find yourself conflicted at all? Yeah, I love this, by the way. This is I love this. This is right up my alley, like the idea of like, so like this invasion, like, is it like pure evil or is it just? You know, like it's just a, a like a fungus or whatever. It's just like kind of propagating itself, like all life does. Anything, you know, I'm here, maybe in the universe. Like their your whole goal of your species is to kind of reproduce, propagate, and make more. Essentially, I I do love the idea yeah. of like yeah, it's not that's that's just the the process of uh, the origin of the pods, whatever it is. I think they they do say spores. I I believe in the film unless i'm just making that up in my head but they also say uh that it can replicate any life which which leads you to believe that this has been done before potentially on other planets yes that th this can yeah. be done to other species yes it was the dog the dog betrayed him it was a pod dog that went to the middle of the street to test them yeah <laughs> makes so much sense and, and here we are doing a pod a pod cast a pod on pod <laughs> That yeah. Uh, speaking of the the dog scene, there it made me think of. I think immediately right after that, God, the characters are skipping. It's uh, Becky and uh, Miles. Miles. Yeah, as they're crossing the street, like you know, like they're whole they're walking across like arm to arm, and I'm thinking like, no, that's how they know you're not you're not part <laughs> of the pod. You're showing too much love and affection. Right. All that needs to be gone to make a better world. Isn't that such a fun moment in almost any movie where subterfuge deception in order to get past the much more powerful entity is uh, their, their plan is after they realize that oh, we have to go out the front door. Um, excellent music in that particular scene too, with the, the lower 88 keys of the piano um, as they're, as they get away from using the syringes, they get away from their, uh, would-be captors and they go outside and then they are essentially surrounded by the enemy and the only way and they make it three seconds before she <laughs> yells out about the dog <laughs> does that make yeah. her a good person or a terrible person like i'm sitting there saying darn it becky like why do you let the dog get hit everybody you know and love is replaced and going to be murdered just let the dog go but maybe that makes me a bad person. <laughs> no, it's it's the good. This is a classic Star Wars thing, right? The good of the many versus the good of the one. Am I That's, thinking of that? That is definitely Star Trek. And we, <laughs> please don't write me angry letters. Please write them addressed to Justin. Dustin Melbardis. No oh, no. Dustin you did can that write me purpose. angry letters. You buddies. realized I was trolling you, and you did the thing I hate the most, which is to be called Justin. Well yes. played, yes. Robinson. Yep. Uh, so, so uh, yeah, th this uh, I, I really like it when, when in any movie, 
uh, there's a really high risk situation, which very quickly turns into, we got to get to the highway. We got to get out of here. And, uh, you know, the the speed of this movie, I really liked the speed at which the intensity of the situation ramps up. Um, I believe you have you have Miles and Becky as as two that have that that, that you're rooting for that they're they're safe and only for a little bit do you have Teddy and Jack uh, who are helping them. Um, <clears throat> do we see? Because I had to I had to actually go back and see this twice. Uh, one of one one of the scenes where I'm not going to say it was a jump scare, but it certainly was like a this is a this is a tense scene was when um, Miles and Becky pull up to I think it's his nurse slash secretary's house, and all of them are inside, and the one woman is holding a pod like a baby. That's a really tense scene. And that's when the, I think it's the officer kind of grabs him behind. Oh, we've been waiting for you. I mean, that's when it's, we've, we clearly are past the point of no return and we've still got plenty of movie left. And it's, it's, you know, the escape then uh, becomes so exciting. Um, Did you expect this type of like uh, ramp up? Yeah, I I did not expect that. Um, I think, there was a point where I think around around this point of the film, I stopped it. And I think this is like your midway point. And I was thinking to myself, wow, this is this is moving really fast. I like this where this is going. Um, yeah, just I love that scene, by the way. It's, it's it's so good. It's so good. There's like, yeah, there is that jump scare there. And just how the the woman talking about placing the pod, I want to say like in the crib. I think yeah yeah Mm -hmm. I just like that is just that was just so creepy and they're so kind of monotone everything is super dry Mm -hmm. and yeah it's really creepy they get the tap on the shoulder I love it right before the tap do either of you two chads remember what is said by the woman holding the pod baby I don't something about tears yeah it's it's (laughs) it's 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 like not very much longer now and soon there'll be no more tears and that that is like a bone chilling now thinking back to it like oh man uh i i really didn't expect this kind of um feeling from watching this movie um like because i i came into this completely completely new to it uh it was i was searching for what what is going to stand out and i was gifted so many different types of feelings whether it's uh anxiety about getting away uh, the uh, like who to trust type mentality, um, the the realization that the point of no return were already past it, uh, it's already happened. Seemingly, there's no saving the day, which makes me think about the uh, the framing of this movie, the way that it's framed in flashback, and then we learn about sort of a resolution. Uh, Chad Robinson, how how did you feel about the framing and how the movie? Uh, attempts to wrap things up. Sorry to, to I, I'm so, I'm sorry if that makes it sound like I'm biasing your answer. Like attempts to wrap things up, but uh, how do you, how do you feel with with what happens at the end? I typically hate flashbacks and I hate that trope. But you know what? Here I think is almost like a mystery thriller portion of a horror movie. It it works. And to your commentary earlier, it works because it's a quick acceleration from our mystery to just 
an escape, the ending was changed. And I kind of agree with his name's Walter Wanger. He's the producer. Really interesting dude. Uh, he'd actually shot a man in the testicles five years earlier and produced a movie from jail. He, you only get a four month jail sentence in the fifties for shooting a man in the testicles. As long as that man is having an affair with your wife, the judge was like, I understand. Uh, moving on though, the, the, <laughs> the, the producer thought it ruined the movie, but, uh, you know, that's what the studio wanted. The studio wanted a happier ending. And I don't know how a happier ending is. Yeah, you're right. And they're actually taking over everywhere. But this movie originally ended on the freeway where he's just screaming helplessly. And we see a truck heading for San Francisco and it ends right there. And it was too bleak for the fifties. So studio said, change it. Another studio interference. They took out a lot of the humor. They claim they took all of it out, but I honestly found Miles to be pretty funny. He's got a lot of great lines, like, I'm a doctor according to my diploma. And he's talking about his bedside manner as an <laughs> innuendo with Becky. Oh, oh no, that comes later. <laughs> I, I, I love his just straight up macking on his old girlfriend. Like, all, all of his lines are great. And I kind of, I'd like to see the cut before they took out all of the humor. Like, is it in some of the inappropriate shots? Like you're showing the woman holding the baby or is it just him being funny? Because I'm down for more Kevin McCarthy being funny. That's, you know, when I think about it now with them making those changes to the end, but not, but then taking out the comedy of it, that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. If that's, if you want to kind of have this safe, ending where i feel like um and you're removing the comment i don't know anyway yeah apparently yeah. the audience during the test screenings they were laughing at the wrong part <laughs> which again i i want to see what is going on like what are you laughing at are you laughing at the dude being murdered by the pitchfork because that yeah that's a problem but uh you can't be sean connery quipping while getting stabbed with a pitchfork but you, you, you know, I, I came across that same uh, piece of info about the test audience laughing and and then screaming uh, as as in I, what I thought that wasn't wanted was the back and forth between something lighthearted and then something scary. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> which, which is what I picked up from that little piece of information. Um, but I also find the movie, I, I, I think that I've said this a couple times now, but it's, it's pretty nice when you get a non-comedy that's funny. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, that the quick wit um, in, in this movie is, is pretty good. And, um, you know, I had in, in the intro, I had talked about the last movie that I saw uh, that uh, was Clue, which is just full of wit and like it just it's over and over and over in, in a row but you know uh, every movie can benefit from some you know from some good quips here and there yeah absolutely and walter wanger again the producer he thought the humanity was stripped out of the movie that was his phrase by removing the humor uh, yeah yeah I, I know i know there was like a, a a dispute about how it should be shown um i i don't know if i would i'm act, i think i might be leaning towards Maybe I do like it ending uh, with him raving in the middle of the highway. 
Um, there is a really cool shot in that scene where he looks straight at the camera, which I guess would be looking straight into the audience. And I think the line is, you're next, yes. you're next. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, it, it makes me think like if, if I were uh, 65 years ago in a theater and my heart was prepared for theater and movies the way that it would have been for people of that time, like that would have been really freaky. And to think about that in that sense, it's it's kind of it's kind of fun to think about uh, generations past how they must have experienced a movie like this. Um, but yeah, I and then the, the framing of okay, get the FBI on the phone. Uh, do is this still a winnable fight against the alien pod people? Uh, like, like getting the FBI involved. Uh, did we manage to catch it at the one place that the seeds fell? Um, Ch- Chad DeVrent, do you, do you think that now once we make that one call to Sacramento or L.A. where we get the FBI involved, that we managed to stop the pod person invasion? Because I would think that with the speed that this movie's shown, I would think that we've already lost. Yeah, that's I love this question. Because I wonder if this has to do with some sort of high faith in the FBI at this in this era. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, what's the FBI going to do? <laughs> <laughs> Investigate. It's like, it's like you know, you're bringing a knife to a gunfight. I think so. Um, and now that you say that, yeah, I mean, I I think uh, hope is still lost here. Yeah, and um, speed at which we go to, um. Oh, a, a truck runs a red light and a whole bunch of pods spill out all over the road. And that makes the one guy believe him. And within 20 seconds, the end. And <laughs> my, oh, oh, so that's how it wraps up. If we were to um, think about alien invasion movies, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give one here. Mar- Mar- Mars Attacks. Mm. Classic, very scary movie. <laughs> Mars Attacks. Uh, the aliens have a weakness which is yodeling. <laughs> and I had a whole bunch of movies listed, but I'm not going to give them all because I, I realize it would be unfair to just go and like, you know, spoil a bunch of movies. Um, but d- do these unfeeling uh, replacement aliens have a weakness? Uh, it's certainly not the FBI. <laughs> what you said about bringing a knife to a gunfight is apt. Um, but do they have a weakness? I mean, what's, what's going to stop them? Pitchforks, apparently. Pitchforks will do it, <laughs> I suppose. That'll also take care of your local Witcher. Too. Yes. Pitchfork right through the stomach. Yeah, um, I, I don't know. They never, they never come up with anything like, you know, ultrasonic, whatever blast sounds. You never see a weakness to them, other than they're just they take the form of whoever they inhabit. So you know. You may be the unlucky pod person who just takes the form of someone that moves at the pace of a turtle. I don't know. <laughs> well, this makes me think this this is a mechanical issue that I have with the movie. <clears throat> and I don't have an answer. I'm not asking you guys because I have the right answer, but I just don't know how exactly it works. Um, we know in K.A. Applegate's incredible series, The Animorphs, that the Yerks crawl into the ear of someone and control them from inside. Mm-hmm. We know that. Uh, we know that the, we know that there are certain things that they don't like and they can be killed. 
Um, but with this situation, invasion of the body snatchers, I would say um, I've always been confused. And after watching the movie, I didn't get any less confused. They're growing a second version of someone. That's what the pods do. Mm-hmm. What happens when there's two bodies? There's two bodies. Uh, what can either of you explain to me? Because I can't, I couldn't get it. What, why, why are they growing another body? Uh, because then we have just twice the amount of people. And that seems like a lot of extraneous cleanup. I'm not trying to tell the alien inv- invaders how to do their job, but it seems like growing a whole nother body seems like extra work. Uh, what, what happens? How does it, exactly does this work? I think it's proximity. Yeah, it's never really fully covered because Becky falls asleep for, I don't know, five minutes a second, yeah. while Miles is out there and she gets replaced. But I, I picture some alien grunt going around with like a wheelbarrow full of seeds <laughs> that's just like throwing them out shotgun approach everywhere, just hoping someone falls asleep. And this one dude is like, I'm going to throw them under the bridge and lucky for him. Becky falls asleep under the bridge, but, you know, as they're chasing him, I picture a guy with a wheelbarrow and a bunch of seeds following behind them. Who knows? I like that idea that there is the, um, like that guy doesn't have the best alien job, but he's also, he's not going to be sad or upset about it because he doesn't have any emotion. Um, so, but it d- does, if they, if there's a second version of you growing and it assumes your memories and it assumes all the stuff that you that you need to know about who you are, just lacking the emotion. That means that then there's a husk or something left behind. So is there another guy with a wheelbarrow collecting the husks or do they walk? Do they just go someplace? Uh, we, we do have one idea from the chief of police who we see uh, through an open window say, oh yeah, we, we found that body burning on a, a like in a bonfire. Uh, do, do, those, do those husk bodies go to burn? Well, that dude it would was, help make sense. That dude was lying. I love, I love how that chief of police just like is like through like this hanging out in the basement window with his gun out too. Like, yes, I noticed in. that. Like, like a jack in the box. Yeah, when I would... for poor trigger <laughs> discipline, just waving it around. Looked like um, John Goodman too. <laughs> when I was watching this movie, I was I was kind of combing it. Uh, for best shot for our superlatives later. And there was a moment where this was my best shot when they're down in the cellar and um, they're, they're nearly finished, you know, talking to Danny in, in that shop. And uh, you hear what's going on down there. One of the guys looks and says, hello, Nick, glad to see you. And you have half of a cop like wedged into the window, like Winnie the Pooh with his gun out <laughs> with his gun, just waving it around. Like you said, uh, this was my best cinematic moment of the movie until I finished it. Uh, but like that, that was like, uh, Oh yeah. Well, and, and Hey, uh, Chad Robinson, you said something interesting. They are lying. Yes. And they, now I'm not saying lying requires emotion to do, but they all have to carry on the right types of lies. And we all know that, you know, even just one white lie can burgeon and blossom into a whole web of lies that you have to keep up with. Um, and when I was trying to think of a weakness of this alien force, would one of the weaknesses potentially be that they can't know every lie that's ever been told? 
because of their chain of command? Did either of you did either of you approach this movie the way that I am right now, which is what are they after? Or how how are they fallible? Because it, it seems as if if they've got a good network, they'll always be able to report back and say, all right, this is what I told them. They're going to be here. It, it's it seems as if they have to they have to be really advanced to know exactly which lies to tell. Are you thinking that you need to find a way to trap them in some sort of lie paradox? <laughs> well, me, okay, I didn't go so far. If you trap them in a lie, that they, their heads will explode? Uh, hmm, maybe that could be it. Is if you trap them in a lie, they're like Mr. Mixtoplick of the uh, the Superman bad guy. Like oh, Mixtoplick, Mixtoplick, yes. Mixtoplick, Mr. Yeah, Like, oh, you tricked me, Superman. You know, whatever. Like, if you trick them, they just give up and go. And and I didn't expect to get here, but see, you you have hope. I I looked at this movie and I just said, you're screwed. This isn't this isn't the thing. Like, how lucky were they that the thing occurs in a very remote location? You get the thing in the middle of San Francisco, all of San Francisco is dying. Like, that's just what's going to happen. So, yeah, the second I learned, okay, you go to sleep, you die. Again, my favorite horror movie is Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, it's This is jiving with me. Like, you go to sleep, Freddy kills you. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's I, there's there's no hope. There's no uh there's there's no Chekhov's gun in here to solve their problem at the last minute, which I enjoy. Yeah. yeah, and and I think that's why I I would have liked to uh have the movie end when it when it didn't. Have the movie end with him freaking out and people treating him like he's crazy. Even the um even the pod people as they're chasing after him, which by the way, uh, when you see the whole mob of people moving towards the middle of the like the town square or town triangle in this case, uh, or you see them chasing uh, Miles and Becky through the California hills, uh, maybe scare to me zombies don't do anything for me. But a mob of human beings or a mob of people probably scarier to me than many of our classic movie monsters or our, our horror genre. That that was scary. Uh, seeing a whole mob of people after you. See, to me, I had the Indiana Jones theme song in my head, looking for a pontoon boat. Like, <laughs> and they found an abandoned. Instead, they found a mine shaft. Yeah, which coincidentally had a pod in it. Who knew? <laughs> yeah, the guy with the wheelbarrow did a good job that day. <laughs> he could. He didn't have to stop at the mine. He didn't have to. <laughs> but instead, he's like, "All right, I'm working overtime today." Um, well, yeah, okay, so. Uh, I, I learned uh, through a little uh, online investigation that apparently in the book, um, the, the reason that the aliens decide not to continue on with the colonization is because the humans were just resisting a little too hard and it wasn't so easy. So the, the way that like it, it was supposed to happen quickly, but after five years, the aliens were just like, screw this. This is not worth it, and they leave. Right. American exceptionalism, right? Like <laughs> exceptionalism, like pushed them away. This, this is uh, yeah, I'm in this fifties uh, era mindset again. I mean, that's pretty much the Revolutionary War. Like, we didn't so much win as Britain was like, "Yeah, this is really expensive. Screw it." Yep. 
and we win again. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to fight to the death. Well, uh, we'd rather not, so we're going to go back to our island. Um, you know, I, it, that made me think of uh, <clears throat> the, the, the pods themselves. I saw, um, talking about the book made me pull out of the movie for a moment, and it, and it made me think of uh, when they were showing this movie at the theaters, uh, they would put paper mache pods all over the place. Uh, like in the theater, like in the hallways and stuff. Yeah. Um, and I also learned that, and I'm, I'm getting this fact wrong because it's not in front of me. It's just something that I scanned over. But uh, one of the actresses, like either in their trailer or while like she was getting some rest in between shots, uh, they put like a pod in her bed or like under her bed. Yeah, that was Dana <laughs> Winter, who was new. Like she's a relatively new actress. But yeah, Becky Driscoll had one under her bed. Uh, but even even with that, um, you know the the we 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 settled that it is kind of a uh, an unsettling movie. Um, I was looking at some of the reviews, and it's almost like that philosophy grad student that can't stop themselves from talking to you about <laughs> like the connection here or what this really means. Uh, and every single one of these things was like this was a perfect representation of how America was feeling. Okay. Does that matter to you guys in enjoying this film at all? I'll start with you, Chad DeVren. Does that matter to me? No. Yeah. I I think I th this type of film, I think you can make comparisons to many other things. Um, maybe at the time, maybe it reflected the era, but it can also reflect you know, other dangers that are unseen. Like I was just thinking of this as we're talking, it's like, oh, it's kind of like a virus, right? It's something dangerous, unseen. You don't know who has it just by looking at them kind of thing. So as, yeah. you know, just in the middle of midst of a pandemic and hopefully coming to an end soon, like it's, that's kind of the same thing. So I feel like the themes in this story, I mean, you can make many comparisons to it, so... <laughs> Yeah, rounding the corner of this global health crisis, <laughs> somebody must have called the FBI. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so quaint, too, when they're just dial the operator, get me the governor, which apparently would have worked, and then <laughs> get me the FBI again, which would have worked. I, I don't know if you can do that today. I don't know if I can dial zero and say, get me the governor, and it will go through as a doctor. <laughs> I doubt it. Or get me the FBI. They're going to be like, no, no, go to the police. Oh, the guy sounds pretty serious. We should probably use our super special line to get him directly to the FBI. <laughs> well, and, and that's, I was going to, I was going to say the same thing is that um, enjoying this movie is, it, it is, un, I would say it's unnecessary to make the comparison to like what uh, the people at the time were feeling about Red Scare. Does it does it matter to how I enjoyed this this movie, which I thoroughly enjoyed? No, not really. In fact, uh, <clears throat> it makes me think of all of those uh, classes in high school and a few in college where somebody is making some type of connection between prose or poetry or literature and something else going on in the real world. And maybe that was intended, but honestly, I just like the prose. Or I just like the poetry, and in this in this case, I just really like the movie. Yeah, yeah, I I agree with Chad's point of it can really transform into any era. You could look at it today as 
almost like the Twitter hate mob of if you say the wrong thing, Twitter will come and they will devour you and just erase you. <laughs> I like that. And, the, and then you uh, you conform. And then yeah, it's a good comparison. Well, and uh, of of the things of the things that we liked, you know, we had several, uh, but we also have the things that we liked the best. And that's when we get to our movie superlatives. And I think what we'll do is we'll start with our MVP. Who do you think the MVP of this movie is? Chad DeVrentz. McCarthy. All the way. So. Yes. Yeah. Yep. It just, it's a, it's kind of a, I'm not, I don't really ever like get into performances a whole lot, but when it's a, an example like this, where it's just like, yeah, I think from the beginning to the end, um, you kind of see this transformation of this character as well, and you kind of see the the range of um, McCarthy's performance. And yeah, definitely MVP for me. I think I think he did a great job too, uh, Chad Robinson. I agree with Chad, and I'm saying that as a, our guest, not I agree with myself. <laughs> Miles is extremely likable. He's charming. And then he just does this fantastic job of throwing himself into hysterics. He's just drenched with sweat by the end when he's just screaming into the camera, you're next, you're next. And it's great watching that descent into madness. Uh, yeah, it, it made me think of um, just a, a kind of a scary question that I've <clears throat> maybe posed before, like to, to myself or, you know, among friend groups is like, it's, it's worse than it's scarier than death is losing your mind. Yeah. Uh, and, and the, the raving at the end, the actual raving at the end was such a performance. Uh, so my hat's off to him. For me, the MVP is uh, Don Siegel. Yeah. It is it, it, the, the pacing of this movie um, was kept me so engaged. And uh, like, I was thankful that when, if I'm normally told to watch a movie that's 65 years old, uh, it's gonna, my my eyes are going to roll a little bit, and so when I was uh, this was a treat to watch, and I think that uh, though the performances I do laud, uh, I'm going to give my MVP to Don Siegel. All right, uh, but points for the we, director. Points for the director. Uh, so now we do specifically uh, target an actor, the best supporting actor, uh, Mr. Devrent. I forget the actor's name, but uh, I'm kind of thinking out of the box here. But um, the child actor at the beginning of the film that's running away from his mom <laughs> Bo bobby clark yes yeah. jimmy jimmy grimaldi yes jimmy grimaldi excellent choice <laughs> i i went for dana winter i really liked her becky driscoll i'm more impressed that she wasn't a seasoned actress she's sweet she makes you feel really really sad for miles when he winds up kissing a pod person clone it's like no you it was right there for you. So, yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed her performance. I, too, enjoyed her performance. And I was also, I'm not going to say tricked, but I was also um, unaware that she was new to acting. Yeah, like the, 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 yeah that was uh, surprising to me. Um, also, what's what's the name of the little boy's uh, actor? No, not actor, uh, character, Grimaldi? Yeah, Jimmy Grimaldi. To me, see that at first I was about to just completely throw away my my um, my entire opinion on this movie because to me Grimaldi's aren't farmers. Grimaldi's make sausage, <laughs> right? <laughs> all right, maybe may, <laughs> all right. Maybe I'm off there. Okay, uh, for me, the best supporting actor was uh, 
Larry Gates as Dr. Danny Kaufman. Oh, okay. I, I thought his delivery, I, I think Kaufman's character was elevated. And I, cause there's, of course, there's no way for me to know the counterfactual, which is kind of a common, um, <clears throat> kind of a common problem with evaluating performances is once you see a performance done by one person, uh, it would almost be impossible to see it done as someone else and not compare it to the first. But uh, I, I really liked that character, and I feel like his delivery of his lines, not just uh, when they're over the body at the billiard table, but also um, in the cellar, in, uh, in the dad's kind of uh, you know, shop, um, and then later on in Miles' own office. Uh, I, I feel like his gaslighting-style performance was like, as good as it could be, and so I had, I had to give it to him. Excellent. Let's move on to uh, Hidden Gem, Mr. DeVrentz. Just a movie from this era. I just love seeing, like, the old cars, just the decor, like, the old phones. Just because that stuff always, like, triggers in my head, like, just the, how different of an era that is compared to today. And just think about how we communicate now, how we travel, um, just how we interact as communities. Um that's I feel like that's the hidden gem to me. Um out of six hundred and fifty dollars for a car. That hurts yeah. a little. Was it was it for the car? I think it was I thought that too, but isn't it six fifty down? Is that what the was a DN on it? I, I misread so. that. <laughs> oh good eyes from, from you guys. Uh I will say that that same kind of feeling of the era. Uh anytime like like a uh a Pulling up to a service station, not a gas station, because yeah, you are yes. getting full service. Yeah, uh, that that is that's a very cool idea to me. Uh, I know that my opa, my grandfather, uh, when he when he came over to the states, that was one of the things that him and his two brothers did was they they worked at a full service station. And I like to think of young versions of my uh, of one of my grandparents and his and my great uncles kind of being teenagers and, and doing that same job, checking to make sure the spare tire was good. Somebody's on the windshield. Uh, th that's, that's a cool feeling. I know what you mean. Uh, hidden gem for you, Mr. Robinson. I like Bobby Clark. I, I'm notoriously tough on child actors, but I thought he did a great job of convincing us that something may actually be going on here. He's like screaming and crying about his mom. Jimmy Grimaldi was just, he's a brief appearance, but it winds up being a pretty important character. And I think there's something to be said about, like, from the mouth of babes, you know, the truth. And um, you, you can maybe understand, like, oh, if a dog sees something's wrong or a kid sees something wrong, we realize that everybody, like, something's going wrong in the whole town. All right, a lot of love for the child actors. Uh, hey, listeners of uh, <laughs> Retro Movie Roundtable, don't look into the past about my uh, my thoughts on children and movies. Or my uh, my, <laughs> 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 my, uh, my hidden gem uh, is uh, well. I mean, she's a supporting actress, but I, I would say that uh, Carolyn Jones as Teddy uh, Belichick. Uh, you said Belichick, and I was like, oh man, it probably is Belichick. Uh, football bias aside, uh, I I, th I loved her her whole uh, feel. Like her tone of suspicion and things are going wrong and on edge. Uh, I thought she even early in the in the movie she's really bringing that uncertainty to what's going on, the nervousness, the um, the, the idea that something's up. I, I thought she really brought that. 
So I, I thank her performance for that in the movie. Okay, uh, this one is a very difficult one. Uh, Chad DeVrent, do you have a recast for The Invasion of the Body Snatchers? Boy, you guys are going to love this one. <laughs> Again, Ooh. I'm uh, thinking out of the box for this one, so I had to research kind of actors of this era. And I stumbled across oh, this. Oh, don't blame you. Yeah, I mean, that's... <laughs> I stumbled across this actor, and I was like, oh, let's see how this goes. Uh, Anthony Perkins. Yes. To play. Yeah. Jack Pilichek. My, right. my reasoning why. <laughs> my reasoning why is, I was like, I think because uh, Anthony Perkins looks kind of crazy a little bit, and that would be a great character to have as one of uh, somebody that's close to Miles that... That turns on him. I went after Carolyn Jones and Teddy. Part of it is because she was mean to Dana Winter, so I don't want anyone to be mean yes. to Dana Winter. Yeah, we. Yeah, that's one of those behind-the-scenes things. She was not warm to her at all. I don't know that my recast is going to help because she's an even bigger diva, but I went with Elizabeth Taylor. She's hmm. probably way too big of a star for this type of supporting role, but I'd kind of like to see... a bit more weight here i mean carolyn jones was an experienced actor but i want liz taylor yeah uh i will say we we already talked about the budget too like that would be uh difficult uh, i i think i realized like a lot of these choices were not first choices uh no no they wanted uh annette benning instead of dana winter well i will say mine i think might have the no, yours has the most name recognition with with Liz Taylor. Um, but I would say my recast is uh, at first uh, my my answer was no, I will not replace anyone because I don't know that many people from this time period. Uh, this is a long time ago. But I decided what could I do maybe, and I decided to go with uh, Vincent Price as the psychiatrist in the fr- in the framed story. Oh, like he's good. the one he's the one that like eventually believes him. Uh, and it was truly because I was sitting here prepping for the podcast and I was like, I still, do I just choose not to answer this question? No. You know, if you like the movie or if you enjoyed it, how do you, how do you change something you like into something that we don't know if it would be better? Um, but here's something that we do know was either our favorite or the best. That is the best shot, best cinematic moment. Uh, Mr. DeVrent, what would be yours? For me, this is like a, again, a black and white movie thing is just any of the shots where you know where you have like these dark scenes and you're playing with shadows um so like any of the times the scenes where they're in like the house and the lights are down um i know i'm not picking one scene but it's probably the best shot of when he's looking through the window um and the woman's holding the pod and uh yeah then the the police officer comes up and taps him on the shoulder like just that shot like kind of building up to that so I would say it was my best. Yeah. It was the best. When he goes around to that side of the house, he immediately like goes almost like the full top of his body, the full torso like is available. Then like he ducks down. Like it seems as if he's going to be visible to whoever's in the house, but all of the people in the house are so focused on the pod they don't see him. But that is a wow, that is a great shot. Uh because because it is kind of such a tense part of that movie. Or of of the movie, I should say. Yeah. Um yeah, I, I'm I'm with you with the lighting too. Uh, I I think Dr. Miles here uh, magically can pull a match out of anywhere, 
and <laughs> by and uh, while it's not as magic that he can strike it on anything, which is also true, but that he can pull it out of anywhere creates a lot of these awesome shadows. Uh, but yeah, the uh, the shadows of uh, when they are over the body in uh, Jack's home. Uh, what about you, Mister Robinson? I like near the opening when Miles is desperately trying to explain to Doctor uh, to the Doctor that he's not crazy. It's this long shot that's a close-up on his face and it zooms in even more when he's just swearing he's not insane and it gives you this sense of just panic and distortion and confusion and I really appreciated that they didn't cut like today I imagine them doing about 30 different jump cuts of here's angle one two three four five just to uh, disorient you and instead they used a tilted camera and a zoom I agree with you so much with this. It was that scene. It was a long shot. I think they start from outside of the room and go into the room with that shot. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was noticing the length of that shot that I thought, man, they don't really make movies like this anymore. It's a good choice um, for best shot. I will say for mine, uh, it was going to be the half of a police officer sticking his gun into the basement. <laughs> it was going to be that. Um, and I was anticipating one of you to, uh, to mention this shot, but it's the discovery of the pods in the greenhouse shot. Yes. Yeah. Which is from very down low and at an angle. But I would say it's almost, it was almost like a Hitchcock style shot uh, where the, a door frame that should be at right angles and standing straight up like that shot. It's, it's almost like it's probably 30 degrees off and you see him walk in, you see the bubbling like of the plant because, and, and Hey, the reason it stood out to me was I still didn't know exactly what was going on, which is kind of a great thing about this movie. And anybody that listens, hopefully you did heed the warning and watch the movie first. If you don't know exactly what's going on and then you see the, the pods bubbling people out of them while someone stands uh, mouth agape, frightened of what's coming out like that shot is really changes not just the speed of the movie but like it was just so well done uh when uh he's holding the pitchfork and kind of checking out all four bodies that are that are bubbling out at the same time um right before he decides to poke one yeah Uh, that that's a good shot too every Um, one of those shots is important because we only had fifteen thousand dollars for special effects they said they had one shot of getting those pods working and that was all they had money for. So it either worked wow. or it didn't. And thankfully we got it. Well, I think I saw something uh, where the money, the up dollar amount that we have that we've mentioned on this podcast is actually, um, it's either more than they ended up using or it's it's from a, a, a budget that was higher and that they slashed even further. I do know that uh, this was shot in uh, 19 or 20 days, but initially it was going to be 24 so like they cut a lot like in terms of what they were willing to spend or what they could do with this movie. Right. And um and yes, it was convenient that their villain was people that look just like other people. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh good shots all around. Let's talk about the best scenes. Uh, Mr. DeFrance, your best scene. Yeah, so I, again, I do want to say the the non-end um non-ending that's how, how you're describing it, where um, Miles mm-hmm. is, you know, frantically screaming to the cars that 
there here, but um, I actually thought about this other scene I really like just because of the kind of cacophony of of sound that we're getting. It's when um, Miles and Becky are running away, and the police officer notifies, um, you know, the, the sound of the sirens. And we get two kind of different sirens. We get like a like a police siren, and then there's uh, I'm guessing it's like a more of like a civil defense siren of the day. It's yeah. kind of so you get these two different siren types and it's it's that sound for me i'm so into sound and like that in, the impact on film and like that just kind of you know threw me off and that was disorienting and i really love that then we get the shot of them running up the stairs and it kind of you see them running up and then we get like the camera on like the um the moving camera following them up the stairs so i i, I really like that just because the of the siren sounds and this cacophony of like kind of crazy and kind of dueling sirens. It was, yeah. I was wondering about that scene because it doesn't seem like the camera was on rails. I, I think they literally had the cameraman running backwards shooting that. And that was a long shot. Like someone put that poor cameraman to work. I thought that I I read that the gaff, the gaffer. Yeah. I, Mm-hmm. When, uh, made actually made um, a camera on wheels to pull up those stair rails. I don't know okay, how accurate okay. that is, but that makes more yeah. sense because I, I was watching stable camera was like, too. I, I could see bobs, and so I thought, mm. okay, maybe this is a real person, and we just picked the most in shape cameraman. Oh, yeah. and said, <laughs> hey, we're like that dude was rooting for one take. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I remember the um, description about how physically exhausted some of the actors were. And then I see them running and the, the line is oh, over there, the stairs. It made me laugh out loud because I was just like, oh, these actors are already exhausted. And now, now <laughs> we're going to do the stair scene that, that looks like you're about to go see Pai Mei at the top of like the Shaolin Monk oh, yeah. temple. Like, Oh, let's go up those stairs. Let's go. And they, and they just go. Um, yeah, that, that was, that must've been exhausting, truly. Uh, yeah. The, the, but adding the, the sirens, I, I also thought that was a um, kind of a cool aspect of that scene. And as I mentioned before, just a, a mob of people, uh, not mindless people, but people that are thinking as logically and emotionlessly as possible uh, with all of the resources of, the police and uh, and all the technology that 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 you know with the radio and the sirens and um kind of the the power of the mob behind them that was was a scary scene yeah mr robinson how about your best scene i'm gonna go with the exact opposite in a horror movie but i'm gonna pick the most cartoonish scene where miles and becky are trying to fake being pod people and they're just casually talking like, oh, yeah, they're in there. Well, fooling the townspeople. It it reminded me of like a Looney Tunes style scene. And I just I'm smiling as they're in just desperate danger. <laughs> yeah. And they really do not make it that far. The no. first person that talks to them is on to them immediately. <laughs> 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 the very first person like we couldn't have gone an extra like minute of screen time maybe you'd let them cross the street no the the dog and the scream give it away uh unfortunately uh well my uh i i that that starts off that really kicks off um 
kind of the 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 last the last happening of the movie. Uh, mine comes right before that, uh, which is uh, when Doctor Danny Kaufman and Jack uh, meet them in uh, his office. We meet both of them in the office, and that's when they just start talking to them, like as in, "Why are you remember what I was like when I was fighting it? It's so much easier this way," and and they're just convincing them, not not really through force. They're they're just. Um, like they're just having them try to accept this new life. Um, I, I, I do not want to try to recall like the words about like, like love or, um, like living an emotionless life is how it's better because it's too, it's too good. And even me just reciting the quote, if I did have it in front of me, wouldn't be good enough. It's a scene worth watching, uh, about the idea of, of the, our two protagonists essentially saying that you know love 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 is going to beat out this emotionless uh invading force and i mean there is part of that of that same scene where it's you know i want to love you i want to have your babies okay that's part of it um and then i think that particular scene ends with it's not three against one miles it's three against two give me a knife (laughs) 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 <laughs> he's pulling scalpels out of his uh out of his cabinet um how about uh in terms of wardrobe or makeup uh, what was the best moment for this movie uh mr devrent don't know if this counts but i'm gonna take a shot at it is uh the the pod people coming out of the pods <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah they use yeah, the, totally. the plaster the plaster mold so did you see what they had to do like they're encased and they basically had scuba gear, like something for their nose and something for their mouth to breathe out of. And then they're encased in this hot latex type type stuff. And they messed with Dana Winter. They told her when she was all set up and trapped in this, they said, okay, we'll be back after lunch and left her. Oh, so, so there's oh, a no. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah, mess with the rookie time. But yeah, that was an intense setup just to get those. And they came out not looking how you would think 1950s, like you would expect bad. So yeah, I I agree. That's a great pick. It was, they were great body forms. Yeah, you would have expected to come out kind of ifty. Yes. And, yeah, but uh, yeah, it was, a, it was still a great, uh, a great shot. And it totally counts. Yeah, as far as uh, wardrobe makeup. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about you, Chad Robinson? I just like Kevin McCarthy's suit and hat in the beginning. It's just such a classic look. It's comforting, and I think it enhances how suave and debonair he is. I think what I like about that suit is that it isn't a modern suit. It is, uh, it's fitting as a suit of that time would have fit. Um, it, is, it isn't, um, I would say, over the last 15 years, we, we've, uh, in terms of men's fashion, we've gotten towards... Uh, uh, our, our men's pant legs don't even reach our ankles anymore. Uh, we've got uh, suit jackets that you can't even sit down in without uh, unbuttoning. Uh, there's just been a, a movement towards like the very slim suit and cheaply made, unfortunately. But I would agree that, that is a, that's an awesome look for him uh, in, in, this, in this movie. Uh, for me, it is the very first moment that you see that you see Becky, like that, that dress that she's in. 
Uh, now, the moment is also kind of funny because uh, Dr. Miles is saying, uh, tell anybody that comes in that I'm out to lunch. And what you hear from the nurse slash secretary's office is, is the doctor in? And her response is, yeah, he's right here. Like, <laughs> she completely <laughs> she completely ignores what he says. Um, and, and I'm thinking, oh, you minx, you just you're being kind of catty. But realizing afterwards, like, oh, she sees that it's Becky, and obviously he would want to see her. I thought she looked stunning in that dress. Uh, same with the uh, the black dress and the fur that she's wearing later, but it's that first dress that you see her in and see her in later with her uh, sister, I think, or in the front yard. I just think that's uh, stunning. Yeah, uh, so I, that is, I almost picked oh. that. Yep. It's, it's a, it's a, yeah. It, it, I, I'm always surprised whenever I'm in this chair and going last whenever I, Whenever I get to my option, it hasn't already been picked. Not saying my picks are the best, but they're the best. Anyway, if you had to change one thing about this movie, um, Mr. DeVrent, what would you change? I would change. I would change the ending. Um, I think, yeah, that there there was a perfect moment. I feel like to end this movie, and um, yeah, the way that was ended, I think, kind of left that that despair kind of moment that was just kind of hanging out there versus uh, calling the the superheroes that we call the FBI. But <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I can, I, I think, you know, I, I can totally see what you mean. I think it would have been more impactful that way. Uh, Mr. Chad Robinson, what about you? What would you change? It just occurred to me that they, we could loop this in with another timeline and instead of the FBI gets paged into agent K and agent J and that's how we solve this. But, yes. Uh, but yeah, for me, it's almost, it's a near perfect movie, but after reading some of the studio interference, kind of like Chad's opinion, I want the other thing that was cut. I want the humor back in. I already think this movie is funny. I'm surprised that they said they cut all of it, but I want more of this. I think Kevin McCarthy is very funny. He's got great one-liners, and I want a little bit more of that in. Yeah, you know what? Um, adding more humor, I agree. I think adding more humor would be still a fun watch, and it, I don't think it would detract, but I guess we would we would maybe reach a tipping point, but I don't think we're anywhere near it with the amount of uh, wit in the movie already. So yeah, that's a that's a good one. Yeah, it, did, uh, my, it didn't hurt Scream. And, you know, we also had a same a similar meta conversation about, about Scream, which was, is Scream still great with you know, without the discussion of the meta? Uh, and, hey, we're not going to answer that. Go back and listen to last week's episode, baby. We're here. <laughs> we're here for you. Listen to it. Um, I've got to change one thing. And I, I think uh, I, I was thinking about a, a couple different things. Uh, change the name of this movie kind of gives away what's happening. And as a guy who had his mechanical questions as to how this is working, I think it would be scarier if you didn't know the premise was snatching bodies or re-inhabiting or replacing bodies. If this were just called The Happening or if this were just called Invasion or Little Shop of Horrors A, or whatever. You know, I feel like there's a whole lot of vague movie titles that could work for this. Um, Dr. Miles Goes it's... to Town. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <comes home>. yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Um, this the a tale of two men with wheelbarrows. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know what I don't know what it should be, but and I'm not saying invasion of the body snatchers and bad is bad. In fact, it's it's iconic. But um, I feel as if the uh, feelings of terror and unknown and 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 what exactly happening um, when you see because there's the the two the 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 reveal of the pods and the reveal of the half made bodies and. Uh, I had no idea like, like that when they were examining the body on the billiards table that uh, like the uh, the insight that this is like a perfectly made human type thing. There's no fingerprints like there's a there's a whole lot of stuff that like, you know, 45 minutes in. I'm still not exactly if it weren't for the cultural zeitgeist and like what you know about the history of cinema, you might not know what's happening. here. And I think that uh, if you if you were to change the movie of the er, movie, the title of this something else it, it might it might have landed differently okay so you want 10 cloverfield lane where you're not quite sure if john goodman is telling the truth or is insane oh 10 cloverfield lane did the job of uh being vague enough that i did not watch it uh i don't know <laughs> i don't know if that was the right decision or not oh it's excellent go see it yeah that's the only cloverfield field film i've seen and i loved it so i don't know if that yeah. says anything but when did it come out um Five, six years ago? Something All like right, that? All right, well then, we'll see it in four or five years then. We'll see it <laughs> once it's eligible. That's what we'll do. We have one more superlative to give out, uh, and that is the best quote. Uh, Mr. DeVrent, what is your best quote? Is this an example of your bedside manner, Doctor? No, that comes <laughs> <Yes>. later. <laughs> so <Yes>. great. <laughs> so really inappropriate, <laughs> but so great. That is really good. Uh, I, I bet we're all going to pick... Uh, his lines uh chad robinson yeah this that was my backup but in case this one had been taken but i have to go with they're here already you're next you're next you're yeah. next you're next yeah oh uh, wow it's a good one it's a good we one. swapped quotes chad i was yeah. i was the opposite that was my backup was your pick <laughs> <laughs> the chads are the chads are swapping thoughts yes oh, uh, no Yes, fall asleep and you, you two yeah, <laughs> no. you two will wake up to your name being chad <laughs> retro movie chad table um <laughs> so so i have a i have a best quote as well um which is very early I, so many of them were so good that they all deserve applause uh, but mine is uh my interest in married women is strictly professional or yours would have been a lost cause long ago oh that's so great but again inappropriate to say to your nurse <laughs> Right. He says it straight. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, they're, they're all good. And I wrote down several, but I don't think it's fair to go over all of them. Um, hey, let's get to uh, how we would rate this movie. We rate all of the movies that we review on a uh, 0.5 stars to 5 stars. Uh, 0.5 being uh, the worst, 5 being the best. Let's start with our guest, Chad. Chad the guest. How would you rate this movie? Chad the guest. It put me in the hot seat. Um... So here it goes. I would give this three and a half. And I was thinking about giving it four. And the only reason is um, with this film, I think the only thing that kind of holds it back now, looking through today's lens, is just some of the relationships, um, you know, with like the, the men and women in this film. And I think that's just a sign of the times. Um, Absolutely. So I think like recommending this film 
um, I think I would have to give that caveat. But yeah, this as a first time watching this movie, um, it was really fun to watch. Um, there's lots of great things to pull from it, and yeah, after some of the conversations we've had already, it makes me want to go back and watch it one more time to kind of pick up on some of the great things that uh, YouTube have brought up as well. Oh, how sweet! And you, you know, and you don't have to, you don't have to take a full afternoon to do it. It's only eighty minutes, y'all. It's perfect. This is a good perfect. One. <clears throat> yeah. All right. Three and a half stars from guest Chad. Let's talk to host Chad. What is your rating? It was five stars the first time I saw it, and it continues. This is just one of those movies that I can go back to any time. I rarely, and this is going to be a testament to my podcast abilities because I'm just lazy. I rarely watch a movie twice. I watched this one twice with no problem. Again, part of it is 80 minutes. I just love it. It really dials into fear and paranoia. And you'll notice this theme with my horror for a lot of the films that I like. I like the less is more approach. This was low budget. I think it's a master class in low budget horror. And it doesn't have to put everything in front of you for you to be nervous, to be unsettled. It's a lot of background conversations and people still looking like themselves. But all of a sudden a kid saying, my mom's not right. Like, I love everything about that. So five stars for me. Yeah, an uncle's not his uncle and a sister's not his sister. Oh, that's yes. eerily close, Doc. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, well, hey, you. Uh, it's a, it's a five-star movie for you and uh, it's uh, explained well. As to, I, I agree uh, in terms of rewatching it. I would sit down and rewatch it in a heartbeat. Um, but uh, for me, this is a four-star movie. Um, some of the questions I brought up were not merely for the podcast, but they did leave me wondering if it could have been done better, uh, if it could have been explained better. I wish the frame story was somehow different. Um, I, I, if the ending were, were ended where we had wanted it to end, or at least two of us, uh, then I, I would have liked that better. I kind of like the idea of not knowing what's up, uh, calling the FBI to somehow maybe save the day. That's not even really my gripe. It's that seemingly this is wrapped up. I like the idea of thinking that like, no, this is not wrapped up. We're doomed. This, uh, whatever, whatever extra info we get in the second half of the, uh, of the frame story is somehow makes it worse instead of trying to make it better. I think I, I, that would have probably changed my, my rating to higher. That all being said, that's the reason why it's not a five-star, because I do feel like this movie is great, uh, and I will watch it again. I feel like it's um, like in the canon, like in the movies you should watch, um, both for its sort of later influence, um, but also I, I didn't realize until I was watching this movie and prepping for the podcast that I like alien invasion movies. Uh, regardless of how they are, whether we're talking Mars Attacks or um, uh, Predator or um, what, what was I thinking, Independence Day. Uh, there, there's a, a lot of different styles of movies like this. Oh, The War of the Worlds. Critters. I will rewatch. Uh, <laughs> yes, Critters. I love Critters. I will defend Critters. critters. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, yeah, this is a four star for me. But uh, we got a three and a half. We got a four. We got a five. Pretty good. Uh, pretty yeah. good for uh, for a movie that is 65 years old. Well, um, well, Chad, you, you said you had seen the 78. Which one, I'm curious, which one did you like better? Good question. I think 
I like this version better than the 78 version. I I have this thing with like I have a hard time with a lot of 70s style movies. I don't know what it is. This the kind of filmography. I don't know, but I thought that movie had some, like the 78 version had some like really cool parts, but some of it was pretty boring. Like it was a snore fest for me, but I mean I watched that probably 20 years ago too, so Okay. Maybe I need to go back and visit that one. Do you have an opinion on that? I like them both. It's one of those, I, it's a rare case of where I don't think I can decide because they're just different. Um, they do different things. I like that it's more of a continuation of the 56 than it is a direct remake. They, yes, but yeah. I I think if I had to choose, I would go with the original, but I think they're both worthy. Yeah, I have to say the ending to the 78 version is way more terrifying yes. than this one. The ending of that one takes the cake. Host Chad might know where I'm going with this. Hey, doesn't the 1978 version have Jeff Goldblum in it? <sighs> I, nah, I love Jeff Goldblum. It, now I sound how, like... how awesome is his coat in it? Does he have a sweet coat in it? I just, yeah. Silverado, Jeff Goldblum. Don't cast him in westerns, and if you do, please don't make him look like a pimp. Don't give away too much, host Chad. Hey, (laughs) uh, you gotta gotta tune in to that Silverado episode uh, to learn what we really think about Jeff Goldblum in a sweet fur coat. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And that was a movie from a past time, but let's think, hey, we gotta select a movie for the next time. Are you ready to help me, Chad, host Chad? I am ready. We're going to keep you around, guest Chad, while we pick the next movie. It's time to live long and prosper. We are doing our first Star Trek franchise movie. Excellent. And I've got three options here. Option one, Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country from 1991. On the eve of retirement, Kirk and McCoy are charged with assassinating the Klingon High Chancellor and imprisoned. The Enterprise crew must help them escape to thwart a conspiracy aimed at sabotaging the last best hope for peace. Option two, Star Trek First Contact from 1996. The Borg travel back in time, intent on preventing Earth's first contact with an alien species. Captain Picard and his crew pursue them to ensure that Zephram Cochran makes his maiden flight, reaching warp speed. And option three, Star Trek, no subtitle needed, 2009. The brash James T. Kirk tries to live up to his father's legacy with Mr. Spock keeping him in check as a vengeful Romulan from the future creates black holes to destroy the Federation one planet at a time. Host Chad, do you have an option that we should pick? Why, yes, I do. Host Dustin, I don't think, and we've done over a hundred movies, I don't think we've ever done a Shatner film. So I have to pick Star Trek VI. Got to get William Shatner on the Retro Movie Roundtable. Wow. <laughs> All right. We haven't, we haven't done Shatner. Oh, and you can dispense with calling me Host Dustin. The name is Host Chad now. <laughs> he went to sleep during some point of this podcast. Yep. S- somebody went to sleep and somebody came through with a wheelbarrow. That's almost <laughs> perfect, too, like saying Host Chad with uh, reviewing yes. this film, so... Perfect. Yes, that's me, host Chad. <laughs> um, well, we want to thank guest Chad for coming. Thank you very much, sir. Yes. Um, any 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 final thoughts or anything you want to say about your podcast one last time? Yeah, just again, uh, Movie Time Machine. Uh, you can find us on 
probably your favorite podcasting platform of choice. Uh, when we do drop new episodes, they drop on Fridays. And you can also follow us on Twitter at Movie Machine Pod when you want to get the newest updates and when episodes are dropping. So feel free to IMS on there as well. So, yeah, thank you for having me on the pod as well. So it's kind of fun to, again, uh, do a collaboration and have me on as a guest. So this was a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah, these collabs rule. And thank you, uh, both Chads. Thank you to my Chads. And thank you, all the lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. We invite you to reach out to us. We want to hear from you. Subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a like on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at movie underscore retro. Email us at retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com. Producing and providing this podcast is fun, but not free. We invite you to support the show at our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash retro movie roundtable. Any contribution is much appreciated and will go towards making the show better for you, the listeners. As always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. For host Chad, I turn it over to host Chad. Someone in this camp ain't who he appears to be.